And now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last Sunday we began a new sermon series called Meals with Jesus. And so as we go through this through the end of October, each Sunday we're going to look at a different meal, all coming from the Gospel of Luke. And there is something to be said about Jesus and his meals. As we've mentioned before, he loved meals, and it's a central theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. And uh, he has interesting dinner parties with all kinds of folks. And today, like last week, we're going to look at one of those that kind of broke expectations. I don't know, maybe some of you are in this, but it's estimated that about 3.7% or around 12 million Americans are colorblind. The, the averages are that maybe 1 in 12 men and 1 in 200 women experience color blindness or color vision deficiency. So if this gathering represented kind of the national average, there would be maybe 9 or 10 of us here who deal with color blindness, and all or almost all of you would be men. Color vision deficiency or color blindness is where you don't see all the colors like most people. So kind of like this photo here, most of us see the top row of these colored pencils, all the full spectrum of the rainbow. But if you suffer from color vision deficiency, the most common type is a a deficiency where you have trouble seeing reds and greens. And so when you look at that picture, you see more like the bottom row, where it's hard to distinguish between reds and greens or any shades of those in colors. And another type of color blindness is blues and yellows, where you have trouble with those colors. And in rare occasions, someone has a complete color deficiency where they can see no colors at all. And while there's no cure for this, they have developed glasses and contact lenses that help people with color blindness to see more of the full array. And honestly, some of my favorite videos online are videos where people receive these glasses from friends or family and they record the moment and the person who receives these glasses are overwhelmed and they begin to weep when they see all the color that they've been missing in the world. And I think they also weep at the kindness of those who pitched in together to buy these expensive glasses for them so they can see what they've been missing. Those are beautiful, heartwarming stories. Well, in today's story from the Gospel of Luke, there is blindness, there is weeping, and there is the kindness of someone who wants to help people see what they've been missing. In our text today, in the seventh chapter of Luke, Jesus is invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. And I want us to take a moment to just pause and talk about Pharisees a little bit. You know, they did not always try to be self-righteous jerks, which is often how we portray them. They truly had in mind the heart of the people and being obedient to God. They cared deeply about the safety of their country and the future of it, and they believed that the Roman Empire was occupying them because of the sin of the nation. And the only way to have God restore them as a people and their nation was to be clean and impure and to follow the law. And they believed so firmly and so strongly in that. This was their campaign to clean up the country in order to open a pathway for God's blessings to return to them as God's people. And part of that cleanup involved the table. 
It mattered what you ate and who you invited and who invited you to the table. And if they wanted to be clean and pure and restored by God, they took very great care about those meals. See, the Pharisees had heard claims about Jesus, that he might be this long-awaited Messiah that their nation had been hoping for. And some of them had probably even witnessed already some of his teachings and some of his miracles. Maybe some of them were a part of last week's story that said he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And we don't know why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house for a meal. It might have been genuine curiosity. It might have been skepticism. It could have been a trap to try and set Jesus up. We don't know. All we know is that Jesus was invited and he said yes, which makes Jesus the second main character of this meal. He's been wandering around the countryside, beginning his, his ministry, proclaiming a radical new teaching about God's kingdom. And as we learned last week, Jesus loved meals and he ate with tax collectors, so why would he not eat with a Pharisee? And so he accepts the invitation, and as they share this meal, another character, the third main character, enters the scene unwelcomed and uninvited. Now, we don't know much about her except the text says that she was a woman in the city and that she was a sinner. Now, many have assumed her sin was sexual. But as I've mentioned before, when we've talked about some women in Scripture, there's nowhere in Scripture that says that. The Bible could have gone into detail about what her sin was, but they did not. It simply states that she was a sinner and that her presence made those at the meal uncomfortable and even disgusted. And then her actions with Jesus disgraced not only her and Jesus, but the host, Simon, as well. Now, when Jesus would share in a meal during his days, this is a picture of what it would look like. They were reclining at a table. They'd often be with their feet extended out behind them, leaning on one elbow as they enjoyed a meal. And if you're as old as I am, when you look at that, you maybe have one of three thoughts heartburn, low back pain, concern about how you're going to get up at the end of the meal. But when you can see this, you can understand how this woman would have come in and snuck up behind Jesus to wash his feet. I hope that gives you a clearer picture. She proceeds to break all the rules of what is appropriate between men and women. She uncovers and lets down her hair, which was a law that stated that that only happened in the privacy of a bedroom because it was such an intimate act. And she wept and she wiped his feet with her tears and her hair. And then she took this expensive oil that she brought, this perfume, and she anointed his feet. There, this is nothing less than scandalous and an absolute disgrace to her, to Jesus, to Simon. And Simon is absolutely shocked, it says in the text, that Jesus would allow her to do this, that he would allow her to touch him. And in verse 39, it reads, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, when Simon saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who touches him, that she is a sinner. And so Simon writes off Jesus as a prophet because Jesus has allowed a sinner to touch him, to shame him, to make him unclean. 
And if he were truly a prophet, Jesus would have known her heart. But Simon is soon going to learn that not only does Jesus know her heart, he knows Simon's heart too. Notice that the verse says Simon thought to himself. Yet Jesus heard what he did not say out loud. And so he replies to Simon's disapproval with a story about a moneylender with two people who owed him money. One a small amount, and one an amount ten times bigger. So imagine someone who owes $50, someone who owes $500. And when neither could pay, the moneylender forgives both graciously and generously. And so Jesus says to Simon, which of them will love the moneylender more? The one with the small debt or the one with the larger debt? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus agrees with his answer. I've always loved Simon's answer, I suppose. It's how you frame an answer to a question when you don't want to admit the answer because you know you're wrong. And Simon, when he answers that question, he condemns himself. The depth of gratitude is proportional to the one's recognized need for forgiveness. And at that meal, it is the woman whose gratitude is great because she knows much has been forgiven. But Simon has yet to recognize his own need for forgiveness, and that is clear. And after this, Simon asks him, or Jesus asks Simon a question, and I really think this question is at the heart of the story. Verse 44, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, I want you just to picture that moment, that Jesus has turned to look at the woman. He's not looking at Simon when he says, do you see her? He's forcing her, Simon, to look at the woman, to see her through Jesus's eyes. I was in line last week at a, in a store with my niece, and she was talking about some display, and I couldn't see what she was talking about. Now, there's something blocking my view, and when she realized that, she could see it was in my way. She pulled me to her side so I could see what she had been seeing. She got me in her sight, her line of sight, so that I could see through her eyes what she was wanting me to see. And it's like in this story that Jesus pulls Simon toward him so that he will see her from Jesus's perspective. At the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus is speaking in his very first public sermon, and he quotes the book of Isaiah. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Throughout Luke, Jesus has an important ministry to the blind. And it happens literally where he brings them sight, but especially figuratively, as he helps people to see things they have not seen before. This is the case with Simon. Jesus asked him, do you see this woman? And whether Simon is aware of it or not, he doesn't. He is blind. Both eyes work the way God designed them to work, yet he is still blind. All Simon could see from the moment she came in was her sin, 
her shame, her unworthiness. And he judged Jesus to not be who he said he was because he thought Jesus couldn't see what kind of woman she was. But Jesus wants Simon to see that it is Simon that is blind because he does not see the woman as Jesus sees her. From the moment the woman walked in, Simon only saw her sin and shame and wanting nothing to do with her. He was unable to see the extravagant love and the deep gratitude she was displaying for Jesus. You see, Simon may have been hosting that meal, but it is the woman who gives Jesus the traditional and customary hospitality that you give to your honored guest. Jesus says to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which would have been customary as the host, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which was traditional and customary for the host to do, but she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, again, customary, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. The woman, who Simon judged so unworthy, has offered the gifts of hospitality that Simon as host should have provided Jesus. But it is the woman with deep humility and gratitude who knows her forgiveness that becomes the host, the true host. We don't know from scripture if Simon ever really sees. The text doesn't tell us that. But perhaps like a good story, we don't know the end of it so that we can help finish the story. Was Simon the blind Pharisee ever able to see others the way Jesus saw them? Are we able to see others the way Jesus sees them? Do you see the woman in this story? Do you really see her? This is a question that theologian Barbara Reed wants us to ask. Do we see her the way Jesus does, or are we blind like Simon too? I really wonder if we do. You know that nearly every Bible translation of the passage from Luke titles this section, A Sinful Woman Forgiven, The Pardon of a Sinful Woman, The Woman Who Was a Sinner. So the titles added in over history by man, this is how they frame this story. And I wonder why none of our Bibles ever titled this story the way Jesus might have titled it, which is a woman who shows great love. Or why is it not titled The Sin of the Blind Pharisee, to focus on his sin rather than hers? The word sin not only describes someone who was morally faulty, but a sinner was actually anyone who was outside of the law. And outside of the law meant that those who were considered unclean and they couldn't participate in temp uh, the temple rituals. And so that included disabled, that included slaves, it included those who had debt, it even gave, uh, included those who gave birth. So in Leviticus uh, chapter 12, after giving birth to a son, you were unclean, a woman, unclean for 33 days. And after giving birth to a daughter, you were unclean for two weeks. And then you would bring a lamb or a dove to the temple for purification, and then you could join in again in the temple rituals, which is like everything. It's like the farmer's market. 
You could join in again with the the shopping and the feeding and the the gathering and the, the worship. There were many rules that would consider one a sinner, which would thereby cut you off from community. And for the Jews, any Gentile was a sinner. It was just their way of categorizing who was worthy and who was not. Categorizing who is unworthy of a flourishing life, who is unworthy of being touched, who is unworthy of being welcomed into a community, who is unworthy of power, who is unworthy of being at a meal. And we've assumed for hundreds of years that her sin is sexual, as if there could be no other sin committed by a woman in that time, or maybe even today. Perhaps we are more like Simon the Pharisee than we think. And Jesus is asking us today, do you see her? Of the three main characters at this meal, the woman is the only one who doesn't speak. And yet she says the most profound things through her actions and through her love of Jesus. Will we listen to her? Tim Costello tells how he was looking at this story and held the traditional view about her being a prostitute. And he was sharing this story with a group of drug addicts and prostitutes in Melbourne, Australia. And one of the prostitutes said uh, that Jesus must have been a really good bloke. And she said, I could imagine what it was like for this woman. She thought of the formal evenings at the big houses in the posh suburbs of Melbourne where she had worked. She thought about party crashing one of those parties and how she would be treated. She could understand what it cost this woman to anoint the feet of Jesus. She could imagine the repulsion directed toward her by other guests. She could hear the mutterings and see the glares. She could feel the threat of violence. And she could understand how much this woman must have loved Jesus to face all of that. Imagine the courage and bravery of this woman to walk into that meal, knowing how the people at that table felt about her, how they saw her. Yet she came in faith, trusting, believing that what she had seen and heard about Jesus already, that he will see her differently. Hoping this to be true, yet not knowing completely, but so overwhelmed with gratitude that she chooses to love extravagantly at the risk of being shunned once more. Tax collectors, sinners, women in the city, they were all drawn to Jesus, to the power of his love and his acceptance. And in response to that love, the Bible says, they were overwhelmed with gratitude for the freedom they've received from their sins. You know, Simon really didn't see Jesus, and he really didn't see the woman. But Jesus longed for him to do so, to see her not as a category or a sinner, but as a person who above all needs to be loved and forgiven, just like Simon, just like me, just like you. Their different responses to Jesus at the meal revealed their hearts and their understanding of grace. Simon shows very little hospitality, very little gratitude. The woman shows generous hospitality, generous gratitude. The debt forgiven her was great, and thus her love was too. 
And the more that we understand what Christ has done for us, the greater our love will be and the greater our grace will be towards others. As humans, we sometimes have a vision deficiency when it comes to seeing the world like Jesus. And I I think Jesus looks at us and looking at the world forces us to look at it and say, do you see her? Do you see him? Do you see them? We are asked by Jesus to put on a set of Jesus lenses so that when we look out at the world, we might see the full array of hope and beauty and goodness that God dreams for all of creation. Church, are we seeing those that the world and even the the church has deemed unworthy of flourishing? Are we seeing them the way Jesus sees them? Where are you in the story in this meal? Luke invites us, every time he talks about a meal, to find ourselves in the story. And in this one, he would invite us in to lounge at the reclining couches with Jesus and Simon and to find ourselves there. And will we host Jesus, acknowledging very little grace or gratitude and sitting over judgment of those who think they must be welcomed at that table? Or will we fall down at Jesus' feet, weeping with gratitude, knowing what Christ has done for us, and welcoming all at the table to experience the same? Will we see her? And will we proclaim alongside her, I once was blind, but now I see. To the glory of God and for the good of the world. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks for the stories of scripture that speak to us today through your spirit. And today I I give thanks for this woman, this unnamed woman, who without words has spoken to us such great truth about what it means to be grateful for the love and forgiveness that we have received through Christ. You have created us for good And then things get complicated and broken with our own mistakes and with systems and the world. And we ask, God, would you take over every part of us that is broken or tainted and bring it back to your original intent? We long for your loving, healing power in our lives. And Spirit, we ask that you would move in us to see and experience that love, to humble us and Move us to kneel before you in gratitude. Would you help heal our vision deficiencies that make us blind, God, to those that you have called us to love, that make us blind to the places and the ways that you are working that are not what we expect? And forgiving, God, we humble ourselves in deep gratitude, acknowledging your grace and forgiveness in our lives. The debt forgiven is one we could never repay. Help us not to forget or to take it for granted, but to be overjoyed at what has been freely given to us through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
For our time of response, we'll sing here in a moment with the trio, but we invite you to just reflect from your seats on what the Spirit may be speaking to you. Maybe this woman's story has spoken to you today, or maybe you find yourself in Simon as well. But regardless, Jesus welcomes you to the table. He welcomes you to a relationship with him. He welcomes you to receive the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sins and to be changed forever by his love and his grace. So you can respond from your seats if you'd like to pray with me or one of the deacons will be out here in the lobby. If you'd like to visit with us about a church home and calling this year's, we'll also be glad to visit with you then or after the service. But regardless, let us respond now to the work of the Spirit.